to Music, Hope, Word, and Prayer, a podcast of rich music, hopeful prayer, and inspiring meditations with East Brentwood Presbyterian Church, a community church in the greater metropolitan area of Nashville, Tennessee. We are a faith community made up of a loving, welcoming family of believers in honest conversation with God. We seek to emulate the ministry of Jesus through compassionate service, with stimulating and relevant exploration of God's Word, and by sharing that Word and God's many blessings with our neighbors in Middle Tennessee and around the world. Hello and welcome to Music, Word, Hope, and Prayer. I'm John Hilliard, pastor at East Brentwood Presbyterian Church. And a question uh, that I was asking uh, uh, on Sunday was, who put up their Christmas tree over the Thanksgiving weekend? Nate, what about you? Yeah, we actually got ours uh, the Saturday uh, right after Thanksgiving. And we um, went to this great live tree place in Franklin, and they had campfire and s'mores and hot chocolate. And yeah, we got a live tree and, and put it up and had a great time. Great. And uh, how tall is it? It is um, eight and a half feet, I think. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You uh, you went big. Um, uh, Kira and I went out uh, Sunday night after the service. Actually, and during the service, I had uh, asked folks, I took a, kind of an informal um, survey, and it seemed like about half of the good folks had put up their Christmas tree already. And of the folks in attendance, it seemed that about 60% went the artificial route and about 40% still do the live uh, cut tree version. So obviously you're in that 40%, Nate. And, and Kira and I went out Sunday night and uh, we got a, a live cut tree. And boy, they were doing a brisk business Sunday evening. Uh, well, Nate, did you get the perfect tree? Well, you know, I do like getting the live tree because I like the smell in the house for sure. And we got a good tree, I think. We, we had to sort of spin it a couple times to get the, the best side facing out. So I guess it wasn't perfect. And they also talk about a, a corner tree. What exactly is a corner tree? It's the one where you can agree <laughs> that it will work and you can hide the gap in the branches of the bald spot by putting the gap in the corner. So that's a little bit of what we did, but overall, we got a good tree. Good, good. Well, listen, folks, today's uh, episode is a reduction of what was shared. A reduction. It sounds like a cooking show. A reduction of what was shared at East Brentwood uh, on November 27th, and uh, we have included the link. Um, uh, We looked at the passage from Matthew describing the family tree of Jesus. That's Matthew 1, 1 through 17. I won't read the passage as uh, it's a long one. It describes 42 names, I think, across 21 generations. And it seems like an appropriate uh, story to, or, or scripture to read um, the Sunday after uh, Thanksgiving, when uh, on Thanksgiving it's a time when many families um, get together and have a wonderful time or maybe not so wonderful of a time. And when it comes to the family tree— uh, See the play on word? Do you see what I'm doing, Nate, nice. with, the, with the Christmas tree? Yes, um, we might expect uh, if there are some problem spots, um, they would be hidden, kind of like what you, what you call the corner tree. Uh, but no, Matthew brings the messy parts right out in the open, and it turns that Jesus's family is as messy as most. And I don't know how that sits with you, but I consider it good news. For there is room for every story. There's room for... Um, you at, uh, to mix metaphors, God's table. And the good news of today's message is we will no longer be defined by the messiness in our lives. Man, that feels like good news for me today. But by the one who writes our names into 
the branches of the family tree. You see where I'm going with this, Nate? Of the Emmanuel child, God with us. Nate, what do we have for music today? Yeah, I bring in a song I played Sunday called Plowshare Prayer. It's a little bit of a tongue twister, but it's a really good song. Um, thought it was perfect to start us off in Advent. Um, it has some incredible lyrics. So I'm excited to bring that one into the podcast as well. Great. So after the music, I'll come back and share the message. As always, uh, we appreciate your comments and your sharing and uh, of this episode with friends and families. And of course, your financial support. Again, we've put a link in the episode notes. looked into your own genealogy, done 23andMe, or what was it, ancestry DNA testing? Uh, did you have a parent or a grandparent who loved to trace the generations, as did my mother and my great aunt, Sudi? Uh, it seems the gospel writer Matthew was interested in genealogy. 
Uh, I hope you will take a look at that passage in Matthew 1 through 17 of the genealogy of Jesus, if you are counting. Uh, Matthew's genealogy includes 42 names, organized in three sets of 14, 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 generations from the exile to Jesus. The, it's a sort of a, I guess, a play upon twice, uh, seven's a good number, 14's a perfect number, could represent wholeness and completion. But zooming in, if you do, with some of the names and look at the stories of some of the names, you will discover the record of Jesus' family tree is like a tapestry of mismatched strings woven together. So over the next few minutes, I want to look at some of these um, to see how the person's biography adds to the tapestry of God's story. So we're starting with where Matthew describes Jesus' family tree, and it begins with Abraham, Abraham, the father of Isaac. And then uh, you remember Abraham and Sarah, uh, barren for decades until Isaac is born. And Isaac's the father of Jacob. Remember, he was a brother to Esau, and every time Esau looked away, he was snookered by Jacob. Even here, Esau, the older one, is overlooked in the genealogy. Jacob, the baby brother, gets all the attention. And so we go down through the generations. A closer read of Jesus' family reveals more than a few branches that raise an eyebrow or two in, in ancient Israel. And you probably have some of your own stories in your own family trees. I know I do in mine. Like, for instance, some years ago, my mother thought we could all benefit from the two-volume set of Hilly Cousins, the descendants of Thomas Hilly, revolutionary soldier, and his wife, Mary Walker Bond. It's two big bound um, volumes, um, and truth be told, I rarely open it up. But... um, I bet in this two-volume set, there are a lot of stories of triumph, and I suspect there are some hillies who were left out on purpose, and I suspect there are a lot of stories of messy threads in the hilly tapestry. I I know of one, and I have yet uh, to fully connect the dots between me and this part of the family, but um, one was Audrey Marie Frazier of Anniston, Alabama, who married Frank Hilly back in 1951, and, and they had two children, Mike and Carol. What's not mentioned in this genealogy is that despite Frank's well-paying job and Marie's secretarial employment, the couple had little money set aside in savings due to Frank's uh, Frazier's excessive spending habits leading to friction in their marriage, nor does it mention that Audrey became very friendly with bosses in exchange for superior performance evaluations in her work, or that Frank began suffering from a mysterious illness, as did his son Mike. But Mike's symptoms, which his doctors attributed to the stomach flu, abruptly stopped when he moved away to attend a seminary. Or that Audrey was lacing Frank's food with arsenic that would eventually lead to his death. And that Audrey used arsenic in other cases as well and then was on the run for three years evading authorities before she was arrested and imprisoned somewhere back in the tangled history of the Hilly family. I am connected to the Black Widow Spider of Aniston. 
So that's an aside. But I know I've talked with family members who have gone and shown up at funerals only to find out that there's another part, a half-brother and a half-sister they didn't know they had that, uh, that, 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 uh, that arrived to, to celebrate the, 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 the death of their, their father. And oh, what an awkward situation that would be. But in your own genealogies, there are stories where you have discovered you had a sister or a brother that... Um, you know, that you didn't know you had. And so excuse this departure, but all that is to say, I think the gospel writer, Matthew, would get all of this. So back to his account, because there are five women um, uh, to start with, which is absurd to list women in any genealogy back then, because ancient genealogies were all men. And you work our way through the genealogy, and then you have this Judah, who was the father of Perez by Tamar, Tamar's mentioned she's a brave woman in her own right, but Tamar was a Canaanite, and this is, after all, the family tree of the Jewish Messiah. Why would Matthew want us to know Jesus has a Gentile in his family tree? And there's not just one Canaanite woman, there's Ruth, and she's a Moabite woman, and there was no love for Moabites in Israel. Rahab is mentioned. Zooming in, yep, she is a prostitute. Not sure what Matthew's up to. And then there's David, the father of Solomon. Solomon was taking was the king who built the temple, known as he was known as a man of wisdom. And David, the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, um, was one of the great men of Judaism. But David sexually assaulted uh, assaulted Bathsheba, and then tried to have Uriah, her husband, killed in battle. And that's one of the truths that nobody wants to bring up around the family table. So you can look at these stories of women, and we see that uh, you can look at them differently, and uh, we can portray them uh, as catalysts to propel the lineage forward as they uh, took their life and survival in their own hands. Rahab, who, uh, holding the red cord, uh, uh, which she lowered to ensure the safety of her family after supplying Israelite supplies, uh, uh, Israelite spies enough information to achieve victory in Jericho. There's an artist, Lauren Wright Pittman, who um, I've included. I think her her image of her artwork is uh, the episode artwork for this week um, that describes these five women, and they are like supports upholding um, the rose, which symbolizes the Christ child. Uh, that is the artwork for this week. Um, what is important to say about um, uh, the women who are mentioned in Matthew is that um, they represent these stories of triumph, of trauma, of hardship, and beauty, and, and all of this complexity supports and leads up to the Christ story. But again, I want to stress, Jesus's family, like most families, is messy. And we keep on, and, uh, and, and, and there is um, uh, the, the genealogy um, c- continues, and we are going with... Um, let me find my place here, is that we keep on, because there are 42 names there, and there's a name, there's a story to every name, too little time to zoom in on them all, but the stories continue all the way to Mathan, who was the father of another Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, and Joseph the father of, well, is he the father of Jesus? He becomes the husband of Mary. And now if it was messy before the names were mentioned, it's messy here as well, because it seems to be clear that Matthew has marched through the generations to show Jesus' link to Jewish royalty, but when he gets to the last generation, he comes to Joseph, who turns out not to be the kid's father. 
No, Joseph is the guy who marries the mother of the Emmanuel, God with us child. So at last we zoom in on Mary. She's engaged to Joseph, who's of King David's line. Mary must be of somebody's line, but we don't know who. We know over 40 generations of Joseph's family, but Mary just drops in out of nowhere. She could be anybody. She could be anybody. And I wonder if that is the point. Could it be? Because why does Matthew prepare us for the birth of Emmanuel, God with us, by pointing out scoundrels and all the messiness in the family tree? Why doesn't the gospel edit out the scandals? And why does he trace the genealogy all the way to Joseph and then fail to connect Jesus to the baby? Uh, There are a lot of guesses. In Jewish tradition, the legality of the royal throne passes through the paternal line. Genealogy is more than a biological tracing. It, it's, 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 it's a who's who in people's past. And so by Matthew tracing Christ's lineage through Joseph, connecting Jesus to David, fulfilling the prophecies in Isaiah, unfortunately Matthew was doing so in a culture where this cannot come through the mother. And some say that this shows that adoption is just as legitimate as bloodline in biblical records. And what we can say is that Jesus was, in a sense, adopted by Joseph. Mary gives birth to the Emmanuel child, and Joseph adopts him. And that's how we've learned the story. A couple of years ago, the Reverend Dr. Scott Black Johnston said in his sermon, Christmas at Matthew's house, maybe it's the other way around, though. Quote, what Joseph hears from the angel is, pay attention, Joseph. Do you hear what I'm saying? It is you. Joseph, who has been adopted in and through this baby, you and your family, stretching all the way back to Abraham, have been adopted by God. So what's the point of all my words and the listing of these names and their stories? We come back to family. Sometimes it is the family that is the greatest source of joy and sometimes of pain in our life. We're on the backside of Thanksgiving Day, where family members did and did not gather around tables. Some place settings and chairs were empty because of fracture. There may have been things that may have been said of harm and hurt. And for others, there were kind words and hugs and experiences of blessing and joy. Truth is, every family is messy. Jesus' family tree is like a tapestry of mismatched strings woven together. God grafting families in different and unexpected ways, creating room for stories of blended families, families through adoption, families who don't know their ancestry because of historical erasure. And because Joseph's family is as messy as it is with prostitute and assault victims and Canaanites, it seems clear that Matthew's intent is to stress that the Jewish Messiah has come to adopt not simply the Jewish family, but the human family, all of us, including adopting you. And that's so hard to trust. Because often we live in the hope that no one will notice our hidden imperfections. It's hard to trust also because our days are marked by messiness and pain in the human family, biological or otherwise. I'm surprised God has not given up on the whole plan sometimes. Recently, I, like many, have been moved by the tragedy of the recent mass shooting at Club Q, an LGBTQ bar in Colorado Springs, Colorado. 
I was interested uh, in a story that emerged of a man named Thomas James, who had been trained in the military on how to act in a crisis. And he was a patron at Club Q that night when an assailant entered, shrouded in body armor, and began shooting with AR-15 rifle. Mr. James had been a petty officer, second class in the Navy, and he helped who had become the hero of that incident to keep more people from being killed, Richard Fierro, uh, who was an, a straight man, married man, there with his kids, as his kids supported their gay friends who were at the club. And uh, they subdued the attacker, preventing further bloodshed. Mr. James said, if I had my way, I would shield everyone I could from the nonsensical acts of hate in the world, he said. Mr. James said from his hospital bed, in that instance, I was just acting to save the family I found. So no matter how messy the human story is, no matter how messy your family is, no how messy your life is, this child has come to acclaim us, to claim us all, in essence, to adopt us into the family of God. Thanks be to God that we will no longer be defined by the messiness in our lives, but by the one who writes our names into the branches of the family tree of the Emmanuel child. Here's the prayer for the day. Oh God, thank you for seeing our fragile egos and our uncertain relationships and saying you belong here. Your expansive love makes room for us to breathe and helps us to love with our hearts full. So today we pray, teach us how to make that same room for others. When we come face to face with stories that are different from ours, show us how to add chairs to the table. When we find ourselves face to face with stories that frustrate and test our patience, show us how to build bridges instead of walls. When we find ourselves face to face with stories that feel foreign or unrelatable, remind us to open the door and to listen fully. Our days are marked by messiness and pain, biological or otherwise when it comes to the human family. Given the shootings as of late in Virginia and Colorado, as Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love your neighbors as himself. He wasn't talking about physical proximity, but moral connection. So we pray this day for our neighbors in Colorado Springs, in Chesapeake, Virginia, and all of our family everywhere. We pray for our families in their own messiness and give us patience and grace as we face our flawed families this Christmas. Allow us to trust that we too have been adopted by God. Amen. Thank you for joining East Brentwood Presbyterian Church today for music, hope, word, and prayer. To learn more about the life and ministry of EBPC, our commitment to being a Matthew 25 congregation, or to support this ministry with a financial contribution, visit us at our website, ebpctn.org, or visit us on Facebook at East Brentwood PC, or subscribe to our YouTube channel, EBPC videos. Thank you.